0: So it is graduation season, and my mind always goes to a weird place at graduation season. And I think about when I graduated from high school, and Kevin and I were in the same class in 1996, and uh, there were 33 of us, so whatever percentage of that is in the room right now, so <laughs> of 33. But uh, I think one of the things I didn't expect was the cards that I got at my high school graduation. And I know this isn't the case for everybody, but like, I was blown away. I mean, I remember, I think I got over like $1,000 in like $20 at a time or whatever at my high school graduation. And I mentioned that because I had the investment strategy with that money. Because I, I was like, you know, I could spend money towards a car or whatever, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna be really smart here I'm going to use this money in a way that will like, people will look back and be like, wow, that was amazing. And what I decided in 1996 was I was gonna put all of it in the stock market, all of it. Every penny I got from my high school graduation was gonna go in the stock market. And so I thought that I had kind of my finger on the pulse of 1996, and what industries were up and coming in 1996. And so I, no joke, I was like, I bet you Subway sandwiches type, like sub-sandwiches, I think that those are going to go nationwide in 1996, okay? And so I was, so, so I thought sub-sandwiches would go nationwide, no doubt about it. And then I also was completely convinced that VHS tapes, we were going to be eclipsed by DVDs in 1996. And I also was completely convinced that the computers, like, like the, so Netscape Navigator came out in 1996, so um, the internet first became usable in 1996 through the Netscape Navigator, and I was convinced everybody would have a computer. So, so I was like, I'm putting all my money in these three industries, okay? So I was trying to decide with sub sandwiches. So I was like, Blimpy. Blimpy is going to be huge. So I went deep into Blimpy. Then I was using, um, I was using uh, both a Micron computer and an Apple computer, Uh, And I used the apple. Uh, We had an apple uh, then, but I had bought a Micron myself with money I'd saved, I think, and I think some Christmas and stuff like that. And I was like, Micron, forget about this apple. I'm going deep into Micron. And then Um, What was the third? Oh, and then I invested in the stock symbol. I didn't know very much about DVDs, but I was convinced DVDs were gonna overtake VHS. So there was actually the stock symbol DVD on the New York Stock Exchange. And I was like, yes, buy. So, So I put all of my graduation money in those three companies, Blimpy, Micron, and DVD, wherever that company was. And about 10 years later, I cashed out and I had less than a hundred bucks when I cashed out. And uh, I think Ellen at one time at the bank, you know, like helped me with that. And I was just like, is it worth cashing out? Can you do this? You know, like it was so small. And um, and like, just as an example, if I I looked it up yesterday, if I had gone with Apple instead of Micron, um, if I would have kept it in there, A minimum, because they would pay dividends and that would, if I had to reinvest in stocks, but at a very minimum, I would have $625,000 if I chose on that day Apple instead of Micron. Um, But, you know, there we go. But one of the things that made me think about, though, too, was what if I would have chosen correctly? And what if I would have been like, Micron, I'm going to go Apple. You know, let's just take a wild guess. Because at the time, Apple stock was like 29 cents a share. And, and, And I was, you know, what if I went that direction instead? It made me think maybe my life would have been worse because there's a corrupting influence potentially, right? Like, what does it gain the whole world? You know, what does it gain me if I gain the whole world yet forfeit my soul? Now, like, money is not a bad thing, but it's a really bad God, right? And so, so in some ways, I'm like, well, maybe that was God's favor in having me pick the right industry and totally miss the companies and the time of those companies, you know? And one of the things that I find just so stunningly spectacular is how, like, even if I went back in a time machine or whatever, like, I would still not know— the influence and the impact of certain decisions on my life. Like if I'm like, okay, money. I will, I will go back in a time machine and make money be incredible. But I don't know what that's going to cost me. And I don't know once all that plays out what my life is going to be like. So in some sense, I'd be like, I'm not going in the time machine. It's too risky, right? What is so spectacular in John chapter 6 and what's so spectacular in the book of John is Jesus says, if this happens, this is what the future will look like for you. If you make this decision right here, I guarantee you how this is going to play out. And it's radically different than the way I was thinking it trying to invest money in 1996 And radically different for all of us is what Jesus' invitation for investment is and how that actually plays out in our community and in our lives. So so John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I have the opportunity to preach in Omaha, Nebraska. We have a partner church there that um, it's the lead pastor's wedding anniversary. So next week... um, uh, uh, Patty and I will be there and stuff, but Tanner will be preaching next week on an incredible passage of Scripture. He's been already researching it and everything. Uh, but here, remind you, we're coming off of Jesus feeding up to 20,000 people miraculously, giving them bread. Um, then Jesus has walked on water, showing that, uh, that all of these things are effortless for him. And now John chapter 6, verse 24 says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there... Nor his disciples; they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, "Rabbi, when did we when did you come here?" Jesus answered them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you are truly truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves." That's why you're seeking me. It's clear many of the people here, many of these people who were miraculously fed the previous day as much as they wanted by Jesus. Jesus was like, it's on me. Eat as much as you want. And they stuffed themselves. They ate as much as they could. Twelve baskets were left. They're hungry again. It's an interesting thing. Like A lot of times you don't see in the miracles of Jesus the next day. And what life is like the next day. And like movies are that way, right? Like you see this like climactic scene and then you don't see what the next day is like and what the next day is like. So here, they're hungry again. It's the next day. Mind you, we, we connected Jesus's miracle of feeding them with how when people were taken out of Egypt in the Exodus, they were given bread from heaven every day for 40 years because there, there's no rain there, there's, there's no chance for agriculture, they're in the middle of nowhere, they're going to die unless God directly intervenes. And he intervenes faithfully every single day. And even when they start complaining that they're tired of bread, he also sends them some, some protein as well in, in, in giving, giving birds to just show up in mass as well. And so here, maybe they're thinking of that and they're like, hey, that was an amazing lunch yesterday. Let's find Jesus today. Maybe we never have to buy food again. Life is hard in first century Israel. And it's like, we might have just hit the jackpot. We found the prophet who gives food every day. And so they find out that Jesus is in Capernaum. They've come looking for him. They ask Jesus how he got there. They ask Jesus a straightforward question. There's a lake between where we last saw you and where you are right now, how did you get there? No one saw you. And his answer could be like, well, fancy you asked that question. Uh, you should ask my disciples. I actually can walk on water. Like, he he could easily go that direction. But what's fascinating is that Jesus moves the conversation in a totally different direction. And this is a great truth about Jesus that is true in the first century, and it's true today. It's, it's actually true right now, and th- this is a huge point about Jesus, is that Jesus loves us enough to talk about what needs talked about. So, like, when we come up to Jesus, and it's like, hey, Jesus, you know, what, uh, what stock should I invest in today? He, he, he could tell you, but there are actually more important things for him to tell you and more eternal things to tell you. So he has no, no hesitation about pivoting the conversation. So Jesus doesn't have to ask them why they came to him. He actually, Jesus knows why they came to him. He even starts by saying, truly, truly, I know this without asking you. I know your heart. You've come here not because you're seeking me. You came because you had your fill of the loaves. Jesus has, another thing that's interesting, Jesus has no problem challenging people, and when Jesus challenges people, he's not pushing them away. He's not like, oh, you came here for the wrong reasons. I'm done with you. Away from me. He doesn't push them away. He isn't being mean. He isn't shaming them. He doesn't shame us, but Jesus is actually inviting them to take a step closer to him by saying, hey, you just came here for the food. He's, he's, He's opened up a vacuum there for them to actually step closer to him. This is what he tells them in verse 27 about investing their lives in what matters. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus takes them straight to the topic of eternal life. He loves them enough to talk about what needs to be talked about. And he's like, they're like, how did you get here? He's like, let's talk about eternal life. That's what we need to be talking about right now, right here. You might not know the access you have to the person you're talking to. We need to talk about not what's for lunch today. We need to talk about eternal life. Jesus, they want something small from Jesus. Jesus wants to give them something huge. They don't have to work for it. The Son of Man will give it to you. It's a free gift that the Son of Man is going to give to you. They want another free meal. Jesus wants to give them eternal life. And they answer him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? You can tell by the answer that they're just not, it's not clicking. They're just not getting what Jesus is telling them. Because Jesus is like, I will give you eternal life. They're like, great, what do we need to do? What works must we do to get this? Then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The greatest work that any of us will ever do is to believe. Believe. That's it. Like you even read Paul's letters. He's not like, man, I'm so impressed with all that you guys have been able to overcome. I'm so blown away with your life. He says that, but what blows him away is I'm blown away by the belief that you guys have in Jesus. Jesus even, one of the few times that Jesus is blown away by people, it's by, I can't believe the faith that you have in me. Like, what's been revealed to you is so much smaller than what's been revealed to other people, and you come home running, and you've given your life to me. And these other people, like, their journey is different, but they're hearing way more than you heard, and they have not believed yet. And he says, the work for you to do here is to believe, to believe in him, to believe in the one whom God has sent. Now, realize this. The demons believe in Jesus, Satan's not like, oh, I don't believe he exists. I mean, Satan is tempting him in the desert. And is, Satan would definitely believe that Jesus exists. He doesn't believe him as his Savior. He hasn't given his life to him. They're wanting a great meal. And the greatest work that Jesus can ever invite us into is to believe, to believe me. Their response to Jesus saying this is in verse 30. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As is, as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So they asked Jesus, would you give us some sign that we might believe? We're wanting to believe, we just need some big sign. Oh, and by the way, Moses actually, the sign that he gave was manna from heaven. And it's like, yesterday he fed 20,000 people bread. <laughs> like, and they're, they're just, the connection is not being made there. And maybe they're saying that to say, Moses did this every day. So we're hungry, it's lunchtime. And Jesus offers them far greater than what the people got through Moses and even tells them that came from me, that came from the hand of your Trinitarian God. But then Jesus tells them that the true bread from God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is speaking of himself. He has just said that he is the bread that comes down from heaven, which gives life to the world. Not just to first century people living in Israel, but like the world gets life from Jesus the bread of life. And Jesus shoots so straight as possible in verse five, and says to them verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger; whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have not that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 38, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, think of this in relation to, like, me investing those stocks in 1996, where I had no idea, like, what the future would bring. Here, he is saying, if you believe in me, not only will you have life, but I will raise you up on the last day, and you will have eternal life by actions taken in 2021 which is crazy. I mean, there's no, and there's no one that can make that guarantee, right? Like if someone in 1996 was like, hey, here's exactly what you should do. I'll be like, hey, you're guessing as much as me. You might have a more educated guess than me, but we're both guessing here. He's not guessing here. And this is a massive point about Jesus that must not be missed, is that Jesus is the messenger and the message, like, mind-blowing reality, and what these people were missing is they kept looking at Jesus as a prophet, as a messenger. He, he, they, they're coming to him thinking, like, hey, we want bread, and he's like, I, I want to give you myself, and they're like, oh, you have bread? Yes, I'm going to give you eternal life. I am the bread of life. Oh, yeah, that's what we want, and they're, like, around Jesus, but they're not seeing him as he is both the messenger he is God's messenger and he's God's message and belief is the hinge for all of life am I looking to him and the Jews response is to grumble oh. like that's what i think like they're they're grumbling Because of what Jesus is saying to them. Look at this, verse 41. This is how it plays out. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? They're like, We would tolerate him as a messenger, but it sounds like he's saying he's the message. This is what this has all been about. This is centered on him. Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I will, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45 it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, he's bringing it back to like, I am telling you the truth. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They were well fed and they died. This is the bread that I'm offering you that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. There was a, a, a person in church history that, that coined the phrase of, in Jesus was the death of death in the death of Jesus. So death died in the death of Jesus, which the flip of that is that the life of life is found in the life of Jesus. So even when you look at something, you're like, hey, that's alive. Like the life that's in the life comes from the life of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't apologize to those who are like, it sounds like you're saying like your flesh and... Your death is like my life. That sounds what you're saying. And he's like, you're, you're getting close. You're actually starting to listen to me. He doesn't tone down his message. He doesn't walk away from his flesh being what buys us life. Jesus is telling them that the bread that he gives for the life of the world is him his flesh. And if you start kind of feeling uncomfortable, I think Jesus would say, like, you're starting to get it. You're tracking with me, and let me make you feel more uncomfortable. I'm going to actually take you to make sure you really understand that, like, it's me that is paying for you I'm going to take you to a deeper level of uncomfortableness. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And the inclination might be like, oh, you've totally misunderstood him. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you like he is letting them know like hey it's not coming around me that gives you life it's not walking into a room that i'm in and i give you something what i'm giving you is me and you might be like well if we eat your flesh and drink your blood you'll die oh wait a second that is what you're saying is that that when you are dying so that we are living And you are what this is all about. You are not just the messenger, you are the message. And as we look to how we would actually have eternal life, he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I love that he wasn't like, you know, like in some back alley here. Like he was invited into the main teaching center of that community uh, to teach the things of God. And there's so much in these verses people struggling how to think of their life with Jesus. And Jesus made it clear for them. The best way to think of our life in Jesus is to think of us actually eating Jesus. Like if if you want imagery of like what it looks like to be alive in Jesus, like it is that intimate and requiring that much of his life. And if you don't do that, you have no life in you. And when you feel like you don't have life and you feel like, man, I just, I just feel blah, it's like, well, are you feasting on Jesus? Or are we around the things of Jesus, but not actually him, feasting on him? And we're starting to think correctly if we're like, wow, this is, this is an intense reality here not just being in his presence these people were in his presence and they thought that jesus was just giving him a meal but believing is feeding on the bread of life jesus himself and a big truth we see here of jesus it's true then it's true now is that all the life our soul needs is nourished in jesus all the life that our soul craves is nourished in jesus And yes, like in times of like physical pain and chronic pain, it's like I I need to be alleviated of this pain. Yes. And like I need to be nourished by Jesus here right now. Like, this is how I get to the end of the day, is being nourished on Jesus. And in times of anxiety, in times of trouble, in times of uncertainty, in times of conflict, in times of great joy and happiness and joys of many things is, is man, the life that I'm made to live on is found in the bread of life, period. Found in the bread of life. And what do we do with this, with this majestic truth? Um, Jesus is the bread of life. And would each of us this morning hear him correctly? They didn't hear Jesus correctly. Would we hear Jesus correctly? Would we listen to him as heaven's messenger? And we follow him as heaven's message. He came to give the most important message that anyone can ever hear. And he is the message. The crowd wanted to make a deal with him to feed everybody so we'd never have to work again. And, all, and Jesus radically rejected all of that to radically fight for not what we want, but what we need, which is life. And um, man, I think, um, you know, what, what we need as we walk together, what our community needs, what, what our families need is the bread of life. And when we're not feasting on Jesus, we're missing that. When we are feasting on him, like the most, I had a a mentor of mine say once that those who are most satisfied in Jesus are most hungry for him. Because it's like, man, I'm satisfied in him and I need him and I am hungry for him that he would be the center of all of this. And his riches don't corrupt us. So many of the riches of life, the temptation is for power, power and fame and all those things to be corrupting influences and his riches don't corrupt us they restore us they heal us they free us they make us alive so lord i just ask that you would minister to each of us lord you are the bread of life and would you minister to each of us what what that looks like what does it look like for us to to find our life in you? What does it look like for our souls to be nourished in you? Lord, for those who are here and have never believed in you as their Savior, um, Lord, would today be the day of their salvation? Would they come home running to you? Would they give their life to you and find their life in you? Those of us who walked in um, walking with you, Lord, would we walk out walking with you? Would we draw near to you with our lives and find our life in you? Would, would this be, would you form a sisterhood in our church of those finding their life in you? Would you form a band of brothers of those finding their life in you? And would that lead our community to find their life in you? Lord, have your way in us, have your way through us, Jesus. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So very appropriate that we have communion today. Um, Very appropriately that we feast on him. There are warnings in scripture about being a believer in Jesus and not rushing to the table. There are times when the Lord will, will open your eyes to something. Like there might be some major conflict in your life that it's like, you know what? I feel like I need to see this conflict healed before I come to the table, I'd encourage you use this time instead of coming to the table to pray about that and say, man, I hope to come to the table next week. Um, And I would love to talk with you about that too. If you feel like there are things that should keep you from the table, uh, please, let's talk about that. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, instead of coming to the table, I'd encourage you to come to Jesus, believe in him, then come to the table. Um, but the way that we'll do it, it's a cup within a cup. And so the bread is underneath. It's wine and juice. Obey your conscience there. And so uh, spend some moments with the Lord. And then let's come to the table. And then we'll, we'll take the elements, then we'll stay standing, and we'll take it together as family. So let's come to him.